You're listening to Creators in Saigon, a podcast based in the rapidly modernizing city of Saigon, Vietnam. I'm Dana, and together with my co-hosts, Tuesi and Nico, we interview the most inspiring creative entrepreneurs Saigon has to offer on topics about life, relationships, creativity, business, health, and more. We are all coaches specializing in different areas, but our common goal is to inspire you to reach your full potential in these areas and improve the quality of your life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to Creators in Saigon podcast, where we interview creatives and entrepreneurs in Saigon, Vietnam, about life, relationships, personal growth, identity, entrepreneurship, and more. Today we are interviewing, let me try to say this correctly, and then I will let you say it because uh, Don Nu, Dean N. It is really good. Yeah. Do you want to repeat it? No, no, it is. Uh, it's Don Nu, Dean N. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> Thank you. And today you have Dana hosting and Tuesi co-hosting. Hello, Hello. Tuesi. So Anne was born in Nha Trang City. Mm-hmm. And how long have you been here in Saigon now? Uh, six six years. Okay, six years. And currently an English teacher, correct? Mm-hmm. And she has worked on several creative projects in Saigon, such as the Vietnam Yo. YouTube channel, which was created by one of our previous guests, John Dewhurst. First of all, thank you for being here and thank you for reaching out. It was it was so long ago, actually, <laughs> that you first reached out. And like a, a, a year ago? Yeah. And, and I think right when you did, it was like COVID was happening mm-hmm. and I kind of lost motivation to do the podcast. And that's when I kind of stopped doing it for six months. <laughs> and I just... I forgot about this form that I had and then I went to update it for new guests and I was like, oh my God, there's responses in here from really interesting people. Like, oh my God. And I just loved your your responses. So I want to start off by sharing something that you said in this, this form that you wrote when you reached out which is, the thing is, I'm not anyone extraordinary. I'm the complete opposite. I'm very ordinary. I'm not a creator. I haven't done any big projects. I have a humble job that I love, but that doesn't mean I don't have the need to create and express. So I think it's such an important point that like, it doesn't have to be your career to be creative. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't have to be the way that you make money or anything like that to to work on creative projects like we are not currently getting any funding for doing this podcast right now it's purely just out of our passion and enjoyment so I really like that you said that and I think all of us are born creative beings and then as we go through life and life kind of like take it away takes takes it away so it's great that we when we can sort of come back to that And I also want to say, like, that you don't have to be famous or successful to have something truly meaningful and impactful to say. So even though you say, like, I'm I'm ordinary, and like you also said in the forum, it's so important to have stories that we can actually relate to. So with that, I want to start off by hearing about you've had some experience with bullying as a child. So I'm sure that this is something many people can relate to. I know it is. So can you tell us more about that experience? So like uh, around is the uh, beginning of middle school. So there was like three very famous middle school in town. So back in the day, if you're not good at math, you're basically dumb. That's it. Mm. I don't like math. I hate it. Me neither. I'm not good at it. I hate it. Um, but my dad, for some reason, he just kind of wanted me to uh, get in there because my dad is a. Uh, my dad was doing really well in when he was a kid. Like he was re- really good in school, so he kind of wanted me to follow his path. So he sent me to a lot of extra classes just to make sure that I get a spot in there. And for some magical reason, I got in. And now that I think about it, I don't think it's. Is, is a good thing, though. Mm. Why? I feel like if I was in a different 
class, I would have a normal life. Hmm. What do you mean by that? This is so hard. <laughs> It's okay. Safe space. Yeah, this is so hard to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, of course. You Take your time. It's such a deep part of me that I, I didn't want to bring up. Mm. But I feel like if you do not talk about this, um, most people who experience the same thing like I did mm. wouldn't feel included. So anyway, I was very awkward back then. My parents was very strict. Um, they made me. Um, they had a lot of rules. I was. I mean, I love my parents, but I think in a way they are called helicopter parents. Okay. Like they. They they wanted your life to be in a certain way. You had to follow whatever they wanted you to do. So like growing up, I was just pretty um, quiet, and I just do what whatever they told me to. So like when I got in, um, I didn't know how to act. I didn't have a lot of friends. Like I remember clearly, like there would be parents meeting, and then. They rank a list of um, kids in class from the top to the lowest. I was always be the lowest one. Mm. Like now that I'm a teacher, I feel like it's such a um, it's such a um, harmful thing to to do too because because as a kid you will you will see that you're not as good as your friends. You will think that there's something wrong with you, and like. I always, I always wonder like why all my classmates had it so easy. They, they, they will all look so bright and smart, and they make friends easily. But there's just something wrong with me. And you know, kids, they can just be really cruel. I wasn't doing well. I was awkward, very awkward. I was really shy. So in a way, they kind of just isolated me. They. They didn't talk to me. Um, they would have their own cliques, and they just excluded me out. I don't think that most of them will still remember it, but I do. It's such a big part of me that I would never forget about it. And like having your friends bullying you is one thing, but like having your teacher bullying you is a different thing. So because my uh, class back then was like a special class for like smart kid in specializing math, and I was so bad at it, and he just and he noticed it. He he was my math teacher at at the time for four years. He got all the power. Um, he would pick me to come to the board solve math problem. I couldn't do it. He would. Literally humiliated me in front of everybody. When you were thirteen, fourteen, and then this your teacher saying those hurtful things to you, you would never like in your little mind you would think that you're nothing but a loser. There's something wrong with you. And uh, I remember clearly that uh, I went home crying to my mom. I was like, I couldn't do it anymore. I. My my friends didn't want to go out with me. My teachers keep saying these hurtful words to me. But then my my dad he would just tell me to ignore them and just work harder. And then you have friends. It doesn't work like that. Anyway, um, fast forward to grade nine. Uh, so that's when I need to uh, take another ancient exams to um, high school. And once again, uh, we have to compete to one of the three famous high school in town. And at the end of the parents' meeting, that math teacher he just showed up, and I was waiting outside for my dad at the door, and like literally heard everything that he said to him. My math teacher was like, "Anne will not make it to high school." I don't know why he said that. He said Anne would never make it to high school. Um, so. It's bad that she chose that you pick some high school that you know, like at the outside of the city, so it's have like lower score, so she can get in. And then my dad went home and then tell that to my mom. 
But like, this is tiny part of me just in denial. I didn't believe it. I was like, that's not, that's not true. I mean, I, I, I was bad at math, yes, but I was really good at English and literature. I was really good at those two. Like, how dare he say that? So, um, I and my literature teacher, we, we were not close, but like, I was her favorite. She could, she always told me that I have good ideas. She always told me that I was right. Um, so after he said that, uh, two days later, for some, I don't know what to get into me, I mustered up my courage and then I, I came to her house. I was like, that's what the math teacher said. I didn't believe it. My parents didn't believe in me. Nobody did. Nobody does. And then she was like, she was, these are exact words she said. She was, and you were one of the smartest. You are one of the smartest kids I've ever taught. You have wonderful ideas. And you ignore what he said. You are going to go home. Tell your parents that you want to apply for those three schools. And you're going to get in. I was 15 at the time. Nobody around me trusted me. Nobody did but her. She was the only one that believed in me. Not even my own parents. So I uh, I went home and told my mom that I can do it. And then my mom and my dad was like, so no matter what, what happened, you were responsible for these decisions. So if you didn't get in, it's your fault. Like they even say that. They didn't even believe that I'm going to get in. So I worked really, really hard and then... And then I passed. I got in. And I got in with a really high score. Like, like when my dad came and looked at the ranking of the list of people who passed, he was searching for, like, from the lowest <laughs> to the highest. I was there. He was searching the lowest to highest. And I was like, They're Dad, I'm like, right yep. here. Yeah. I'm, like, on the very first page. So that just, yeah, that shocked everybody. That shocked everybody. Mm-hmm. including all my classmates they wouldn't think I would get it so that's what, like the turning point from there I realized that all I need is just one person to believe in me that in that I am more than what those people are telling me and I am not stupid I got in mm-hmm. I, I did it it was yeah those four years was the darkest day of my time, of my life. It was so, so bad. I'm so alone. But yeah, so that's pretty much it. Was this your first time talking about this, like mm-hmm. out loud to anyone? Yeah, like people looked at me and they didn't think that I got bullied when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, it happened. I didn't want to say it to anybody because I don't want to be like, oh, poor you. Mm-hmm. I didn't want that, but... As um as I am being a teacher right right now, I noticed that there are more kids that got bullied than ever, and I didn't want them to feel alone like I was back at the time. I want them to know that it happened. It it did happen. Uh, it it used to happen, and it will happen. But somebody need need to say something. Somebody need to do something to to change it. Um, kids are cruel. That's one thing. But if you're an adult and you're bullying a kid, that's just a different kind of low. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just have no idea why he would do such a thing to me. It's horrible that that's what you had to experience. And then it's also so incredible, the story that you have of how you defied the odds and no one believed in you and you totally proved them wrong did you surprise yourself yeah i was like what yeah is it really happening Mm. so the first person that i talked to so like the first person that i uh tell the result was my uh, literature teacher i was like i got in and she and she was like and she and she was like yeah i i told i told you so you you're totally gonna get in Mm. 
and she wasn't surprised. But、uh, I was surprised. My parents was surprised. My friends was like, "What?" Because I was like low the rank. I in the in class, I always rank the lowest.、Mm. Always. Are you still in touch with this teacher? Yeah. If so, if I come home, I would pay her a visit. Um, she has some li-、um, liver problem at at the moment,、mm. but she was doing good. Yeah, she's doing fine.、Mm. Well, we're sending her all our love,、mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're grateful for her. Let's talk about your parents for two seconds.、Mm-hmm. Uh, you started talking about your parents, and you said, "Obviously, I love them." The questions that I always have is, then, what are the moments where you hated them? Have you ever hated your parents? That's a good question. I don't. I don't think so. No. Then the next question is, how can you love them if you never hated? I think、um, for Asian culture,、mm-hmm. it your parents love you in a very difficult way.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> they provided me with everything that I need.、Um, they make sure I got the best op- opportunities in life, and they. I mean, that's all. That's all I know. Growing up,、mm-hmm. that's all I know. I need to please them. Yes, but like so, because I've I've had the not to compare, but like I've had a very difficult childhood too with my father. He、mm-hmm. was very like strict. I、mm-hmm. had to go to the best schools. He was insulting me a lot, and for me, the、uh, one of the、uh, one of the understanding that I had in my life is unconditionally I love my father.、Mm-hmm. But there is specific moments in my life. And it changed my whole life when I recognized that there were specific moments when I hated him, and until I allowed myself to express that hatred, I couldn't get out of this this、um, well my addiction to start with, but like all those bottled up、uh, emotions. So it's more so of an advice for for me to, to you is that to observe maybe you love your parents unconditionally that will never change, but to love you need to hate. Or you need to recognize the parts where you felt the most negative on the spectrum of emotions, which is hatred. So, like if you were really angry at them, if you fe- if you felt abandoned by them, left out, or like, you know that anger that you have, there must be a way for you to to express it to them. Growing up now, because it goes to the to the next question for me is, you said like you you never talked about this experience of yours.、Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for us to be the first to to receive that information. But one of the mechanism you said was you don't want people to pity you. My mom passed when I was six, and my whole childhood I told people, hey, "Don't pity me, don't pity me." But everything that my body was saying was, "Can I get a hug?" <laughs> that is true. <laughs> yeah. So what I would recommend in that that point is, you know, like your experience is is very important to share right now because you have a hurt kid inside of you that need that emotional hug. And so today we'll give you that emotional life for the first time. <laughs> so don't be ashamed or don't be shy or like you know it's your story at the end of the day. So as you are a teacher now, how do you approach teaching differently, <laughs> coming from your experience? Coming out of that living hell,、um, <laughs> I have kind of adopted that superhero mindset,、mm-hmm. as in. I don't make teaching knowledge as my top priority. For me, my top priority is helping my learners to become good people. That's it.、Um, so I would always like constantly telling them that diversity is good, different is fine, and always look out for your friends.、Mm-hmm. And I have I I say this is my superpower. I can always detect whether there's any bullying act going on in my class. I can always tell, and I would definitely interfere because I would not tolerate it.、Mm-hmm. So that's my main mission. I so it's ba- it's basically about a lot of different things like emotional self. Regulation yourself first, and then check on your friends, and be kind to each other. And then we talk about bigger topics like sexism, racism,、uh, being queer, 
all of those big, big topics. And my kids, they're not always welcoming to those ideas. They would look at me like, why are you talking about these things to us? Who cares? But I think there's a saying that if you keep talking about that thing long enough, eventually that would get to them. So I keep talking about it. Mm-hmm. I would treat it like it's, it's such a normal part of my class. When I walk in, like, how are you? How is your class? How is your school? How is your teachers? Does anybody say anything bad to you? So I make it in such a um, casual part of our everyday meeting. So they feel easier to open up to me um, because I want to be that same teacher that saved me. Mm-hmm. When you talked about that uh, that amazing teacher, and we're very grateful for her, uh, you talked about belief. Uh, you needed someone to believe in you. Mm. My leading question to that is, do you believe in yourself now? I, I do now. It takes a lot of healing. Mm-hmm. I, I do. And so do you, can you share a little bit of the mechanism behind, like, how do you believe in yourself? And, you know, how did you learn to believe in yourself? Because, like, the four years that you spent in hell probably destroyed any type of self-confidence mm-hmm. or any type of capacity for you to believe in yourself. So, Yeah, so after, so I got into high school, right? Mm-hmm. I realized my potential now. I know that I'm good. I'm not as stupid as they said. Um, so I worked really hard for those three years to get into another exam. Asian kid in their damn exams all the time. <laughs> uh, so it's entrance exam to university. And I applied for the um, Ho Chi Minh City Uni- University of Education. And the score then there was like really high. So that I would have to take three tests in math, English, and literature to get in. So like on average, you needed to get at least an eight for each subject, eight out of 10, which is super difficult. Mm-hmm. It's, a net, it's a national test. So it's super difficult. Uh, but because I got in, because I got out from middle school to high school and I did it. So this time I was like, I'm totally going to nail this Mm -hmm. because, because now, now that I gained my parents' trust, now that I gained my, my known trust, Mm -hmm. there's nothing can stop me anymore. And I make really good friends in high school, like Mm -hmm. really good friends. So I got all the, the uh, support that I need. And I got in. So you see, like, some, all you need is people to believe in you. That's it. That's mm-hmm. all you need. And I got in. So that turning point from middle school to high school was the, the lowest. And I got out of it. And I just keep thriving since. I never look back. Um, I keep it in, in, at the back of my head as a reminder that you got out of there. Mm-hmm. You're going to get through everything. So everything you do right now, do you think there is, a, is it fueled by the need to prove anything to anyone or is just pure? A tiny part of it still. Yeah. I am a product of my years of years trying to please my parents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when I take the, that test, oh, I, everything I do in life, every single thing I do in life, I always, in the back of my head, I always question, would my parents be ashamed? Mm-hmm. To know that I'm doing this, yeah. And sometimes, most question is uh, the answer would be yeah. Like, why the hell would you do that? Mm-hmm. But then this bigger part of me would fighting back. Uh, you're 25. You should do something for yourself for once, mm-hmm. and not too much for them. Yeah. Because you love them, but they're not gonna be with you forever. Mm-hmm. And who you are 20 years from now. It's your own responsibility. It's not their responsibility. So keep them in the back of, of your mind as a guidance to do what's right, what's wrong. But don't let that distract you too too much from really doing what you love doing. Do you wish they were more supportive with you? To you? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I do. Yeah. You should tell them that. I always do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You tell them that. <laughs> I do. Like, I tell my dad all the time. <laughs> I do. I, I do. Like, um, like those tiny things like painting and stuff. Like, if I tell them I'm painting this really pretty painting, they just look at me like, why you do that? Such a waste of time. Because, <laughs> you know, like, they want something more, they want something more ambitious. Mm-hmm. They want 
me to be known as someone who is successful, to do something great, to do something big. So those tiny things like, I paint really good. Mm-hmm. They don't really care much. Yeah. So yeah, so that would be nice if they just show a little bit more support. Yeah. I feel angry for you. I'm so angry right now. I, it took me 35 years and three years of addiction to be able to muster the courage to sit down in front of my dad and tell him that the, the exact same thing. Really? Dad, I love you and I love you forever. But I hate you for this, 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 and that. And like, you know, everybody before I, I had that conversation with him was like, you're crazy. Don't say this to your dad. He'll die from a heart attack. Yeah. Because that, that's, that's what the brain does. It goes to the worst situation possible. But my dad didn't die. <laughs> he got real <laughs> angry. God. Thank God. <laughs> he got real angry. He's like, no, my money saved you. I saved you. And, I'm, and like, really we, had, we had a huge argument. But then I stood my ground and I was like, well, dad, like, you know, if loving me is like this for you but at the end of the day it hurts me more than it serves me right then this is not the way i want to be loved and this is not the way love should be and this is the this is the result of this 35 years i destroyed my life with the conditions that you were giving me which like i was supposed to be the best of the best of the best yeah and and everything and yet obviously the responsibilities of the choice of the things that i've done to my life were mine but before i was able to tell him that like he was like all this bag of untold emotions and anger and, and, and frustration, mostly because of, and I can relate to you so much because every step of my life, uh, when I had to make a hard decision about my life, uh, it was always with my dad going, like, you should do it exactly the way I want. Yeah. And if you don't do it exactly the way I want, then prove that you can do it for me. If not, then you'll get my insults. Mm-hmm. So it was like, yeah, same. Oh shit, like you know, it's like it's such I wanna, a pressure I, yeah. to you have to it's like succeed, mm-hmm. otherwise they would give you hell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for me and, and so take my life as an example. <laughs> it led me to <laughs> it led me to like real bad decisions. I, I have a feeling that most Asian kids would have yeah. the same exactly, ex- yeah. Experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's like uh, basically, you know what what we're doing by and, and I, I'll return to this to this topic a few times, I think, in the interview. What we're doing by saying that we love our parents is we're allowing a system of uh, a conditioning of like, you know, we're supposed to say that we love our parents. Mm. But love is, is a full spectrum and it, hatred is part of love. And, uh, and telling our parents how horrible they made us feel is part of love. You know, it's part of growing up, I think. And so I, I highly recommend for you to, to dwell into those, those emotions. And, uh, and because if we allow this to happen, basically what it did for me and to a lot of other kids is that it destroyed the capacity for us to love ourselves. Yeah. And I can, I, I'm pretty sure you, you're, you must have doubts about how much you love yourself. You must have like, you know, you, everybody's on a quest, I think in, in our generation of, of, Asian brutalized kid. <laughs> yeah. Of like, if I was to ask you, how do you love yourself? Asian parents are so brutal. Yeah. Jesus. Would, how would you answer that question? How do you love yourself? Oh, how do I love myself yeah. now? It's a whole journey. Yeah. So, uh, so, because my relationship with my parents weren't that great, so that all I know that anything asso- associated lo- with love means difficulty. Mm-hmm. So I enter any new relationship with any man, it's the same mindset. Yeah. I need to fight for it. There has to be a lot of fight. There has to be a lot of crying. That's law. Mm-hmm. Because that's all I know. That's how I wired to think. Mm-hmm. So it affects on, so it affects it all of my, in any re- relationship, whether it's romantic or not. Mm-hmm. So I only, started the journey of loving myself and for like let's say i started it a year ago mm-hmm. so it's very recent mm-hmm. it's like a um a moment of awaken where you had to be like what am i doing to myself mm-hmm. what are you doing why are you doing this mm-hmm. and actually is there was an accident which uh, related to body image that is like the uh, snap fingers like yo this is not good. You're dying. Mm-hmm. Stop this. 
So you know how in Vietnam or in Asia country in general, women are expected to look in certain way. Mm-hmm. I'm very tall. I'm five seven, so that 170. Oh wow, you're taller than me. I'm really tall. <laughs> I'm super tall. Uh, so that is the desirable height for most women here. But as long as you're skinny, mm-hmm. so you are tall, but you need to be skinny. You cannot get like a little bit overweight. Otherwise, people will see you as like a giant and that's not attractive. So three years ago, I was really skinny. I weighed only 53 kilograms. I'm 5'7", only 53. I was skinny, super skinny. because I got some digestive problem. <laughs> it was really yeah. bad. It was wow. really bad. I would like throw up all <laughs> the time. When every, every time I ate, I would throw up. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's not because I wanted to. It's because my it, it was making me to. But everywhere I go, they would be like, you look so hot. Look at you. You look a model. You look so good. But what I didn't know, I was in agony. I was mm-hmm. crying mm-hmm. every single night before I sleep because I couldn't eat. I wanted mm-hmm. to eat. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. Even my mom was like, you look really good. Just keep it this way. She didn't know. I didn't tell them. She didn't know. Yeah. So anyway, this uh, so this one time I almost got hospitalized because of not eating in, in enough. So I got it treated. It took me six months to get that treated. Mm-hmm. Uh, take a lot of pills. A lot of crying, a lot of puking. Gross. And then I came out of it and I started eating again. I started eating again more and more and more. And then I started gaining weight. So that's when another nightmare happened. So people, they would comment it on my weight. They'd be like, what happened to you? Uh, why are you looking much bigger than you are, than you were? You were so much hotter. They would say like those tiny things. Who who said that? My coworkers. Okay, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. like they would see me like, "What happened to you?" Mm-hmm. Or even my friends, they just said it like in a harm harmless way. Because in Vietnam, um, there's this habit of mm-hmm. commenting on people's appearance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you notice good enough, oh my god, I love your hair. Oh my god, I love your clothes. I love your eyes. They would comment on your appearance first. I feel mm-hmm. I feel like they're choosing the most negative, negative things <laughs> to say. Like I see girls with each other with my girlfriend, they look at each other and they're like, "Why are you so fat? Why are you so dark?" <laughs> you're are you? so I'm like, girls are what the very like, difficult to yeah, each other. Hey, like, like yeah. no, but even men said the same thing to me. Like yeah. you probably need to watch your diet. They would literally say that my coworker. And uh, at first, I tried not to let those things get to me, but. So every time I come home for that, mm. my mom, oh, I love her. I love her, I do. But she's a product of the old way of thinking. Of course. So I'm sure it's, it's all the thing that she said to me, which is come out of love. Mm-hmm. She's look out for me. But she was like, why are you so freaking fat? You look like a pig. And I was like, excuse me, what? Why you say that? And she was like, you're really tall. You cannot be fat. Otherwise, no one would want to marry you. And from then, she just, she keeps watch what I eat. Every time, every time I eat something, she would be like, that's too much. Really? You want to eat that? Are you sure? It, so... Last third heart, so like not this type, but like a year before I went home, it was the worst of the worst. It was the, the lowest. She would constantly commenting on my weight and I look like a Russian lady. As in I'm way too, I'm way too big <laughs> for my height. Uh, and then my dad just straight up told me that you look so ugly. Oh Lord. That's, that's the word that he used. And you didn't feel hatred at that time. <laughs> Not even a little bit. Be like, I feel so irritated. I'm like, yeah. why you say that? Yeah. Why you keep saying yeah. that? These are happy weights. What are you talking about? So my, I, I guess the most embarrassing moments for me last that was, I stopped eating for the whole day, just to piss my mom off. She makes something. I stop eating. I do not want to eat. So I didn't want to. I'm, I was hungry, mm-hmm. but I just stopped eating. I was like, she was she was calling me to come and have lunch. I'm like, no, 
I just stayed in my room for the whole day, mm-hmm. just drinking water, and I'm like almost passed out. Yeah. And uh, around midnight or like one in the morning, I was too hungry, so I was. I have to snuck to the kitchen in my own house, mm-hmm. eating in the dark. Mm-hmm. Because that was the only time that I can eat in peace. Mm-hmm. I don't, I would never do such a thing to my kids. Mm-hmm. Like, I waited for my parents to all go to sleep and I, I went downstairs to eat. Because every time I eat something, they would, somebody like my mom, my parents, no, my mom, my dad, my aunt would, would comment like, are you sure you want to eat that? You just ate like an hour ago. They would comment something like that. So it makes me feel conscious. Well, having your coworkers commenting on your weight is one thing, but having your own family to mock your appearance mm-hmm. is a whole different thing. And you take that personally. Mm-hmm. And, Slowly, you started to trust them. Slowly, believe them. yeah, I believe them. I was like, maybe they're right. Mm-hmm. Maybe I am way too fat. So, uh, I got back to Saigon. After that, uh, I stopped eating again. I literally, I do not eat. I didn't eat. I would have like tiny snack for breakfast, like tiny uh, meal for lunch, and I was start myself for the for the rest of the day that's how much i was scared of getting fat mm. because i believe them they like because i was like they were my fat my my mom and dad so they they love me and when they they told me that it's probably true so i believe them so i stopped eating and it lasts for i think two months so th- this one night i woke up from a really bad stomach ache. It's like right right here. And then I was puking like crazy at one in the morning. I still remember at one in the morning. I was puking. And I can feel like <laughs> I feel like all my or my my organ is like out. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what the heck? And that's that that was the moment I was like, holy shit, if I keep this going, I might die. Mm-hmm. I might die for real. And my digestive problem showed up again. Mm-hmm. After six months got him treated, just one that is enough to ruin it. And it happened and it started again. Um so yeah, I I don't wanna die. I didn't wanna die. I don't wanna die. So it was a moment of laughing dead at that night for me. So next morning, uh I got I go get uh checked up if there's anything is okay. The doctor said you need to eat otherwise you're gonna die for real mm-hmm. <laughs> two months not eating it's not good mm-hmm. i was like i i my hair was like falling out and then stuff so yeah i mean i i eat again we're kind of normal now we're still in regulation i there's like this tiny part of me still obsessed with uh not getting fat like you really cannot make it go away so I just switched to like from white rice to brown rice to make sure that it's healthier, not gaining weight. Mm-hmm. And well, from and last that I, uh, I mean this that that of the year of the ox, I, I went home and then my parents were like, you look better, you lost weight. They didn't know, mm-hmm. but I had to go through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you feel now? Yeah. How do you feel? Um, I'm slowly start eating again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel okay. How did you feel when you were overweight? I, to be honest, I didn't know I was overweight. <laughs> those those was yeah. the happiest moments of my life. I got my stomach treated. Yes. I ate mm-hmm. a lot yeah. because I was happy. You nourished your body. <laughs> I ate a <laughs> lot because I was like, it, like, I'm not sick anymore. Mm-hmm. That was on my happy weight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I wish I, for you to go back to that happy weight then. <laughs> I wish. Because the, the problem, I think, with our Vietnamese... Oh, I'm not going to do a blanket. <laughs> the problem with part of our generation, so like our parents' generation or the post-war generation, mm-hmm. so everything was about the survival of the body. Yeah. So it was all appearances and all just 
ego outside. So that's why we were supposed to look a certain way. So we we're supposed to do a certain way. They were, they wanted things from us just to be able to brag a certain way. Yeah. And uh, and at no point, I'm pretty sure when you grow up, they came to you and were like, "How do you feel, girl?" <laughs> they never asked me how well, I feel. Of course, they just asked you how you look, so I can tell other people you look good, or I can I can brag about you. So I think you know, like we go back to belief now. Is last year Ted, or was it like two years of last year? Yeah. Yeah. The, the year of the the the, the 2020. Rant. Yeah. Yeah. Is like you you lost the belief in yourself and you start believing your parents again and I, how you look and that's that's a lesson for you <laughs> you I should mean, believe in yourself <laughs> now that like it gets like if I send them any fo photos of me mm -hmm. I would have to like mentally prepare it and my mom would comment something about my arms mm. or like my my thighs but I'm like okay I'm ready say whatever you need to say yeah And she, she, she definitely will say something. Yeah, I kind of foresee it, so I try not to let it get into me I, that much. I, I tell my dad now. Every time he sends me something that makes me feel bad, I say, "Bad dad, you're making me feel bad." I told you already. I cut him off for a whole year, a whole year. Yeah, because it was really? like it was like you know, like because because they don't understand. And this is this is for me. It became at some point societal. You know, the the words that that I was receiving mm -hmm. from my father was like making me want to die it, it made me die inside at some point and so I take it you know with my whole journey of self-exploration I take it very seriously right now that you know my self-love my self-care my self-respect and my self-belief is on top of everything and if any words coming from now the, on the top of the food chain is my dad <laughs> and it doesn't like you know it won't remove the love of the respect that I have for past actions but if he tells me anything that makes me feel bad then how I feel is the most important mm. and I don't care about how I look mm. how I appear or the things that I'm doing for like you know that, that doesn't matter for me so I feel like no but like the thing in our culture is mm. we're not supposed to talk bad about parents Yeah. Yeah, because they would probably well for in our culture is something mm -hmm. that is really ungrateful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They gave birth to you, they provided you, they gave you a life. So you are so no matter what they done, you're supposed to forgive them. So that's the mindset of most mm -hmm. um But you you must you have something to forgive. So you must have to recognize the wrong first. I know. And that's the thing. So if we if we can't even voice The wrong that is done to us, how can you forgive something that doesn't exist or that is not even, a, we're not even allowed to mention? So, like, there is a whole problem. Like, forgiveness for me was the first step uh, to unleash my true power. <laughs> <laughs> for me, it was like self forgiveness was really hard. I didn't know how to love myself because I didn't know how to forgive myself. And part of forgiving myself was to accept that I, I should have expressed myself more mm -hmm. in, in the whole spectrum of negative emotions mm -hmm. every time. My parents made me feel bad or wrong me. I should have expressed it. And every time I I hit it, I betrayed myself. And this leads to very self-harming behaviors. For me, it was addiction. Before this, it was like sex addiction. It was food addiction. It was any type of any type of things addiction. that would make me forget uh, forget my guilt to myself. Because every time you don't, every time someone tells you something and you're like fuck off, but you don't say I it. Know, you But when you keep it in here, exactly. you start building up. Exactly. And that's that's very negative energy to keep within you. Mm -hmm. Very, very negative. So express it, girl. <laughs> and I want to make the connection, too, between that and your physical health in mm -hmm. terms of when you hold on to these negative emotions, it literally has like a cellular impact on your mm -hmm. physical health and when you mentioned digestion issues yeah. it was like ding 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 in my head because uh, you got literally like the gut is your second brain yeah, like your gut feeling there's yeah. as many so neurons and neurotransmitters in the gut basically as there are in the brain and there is like a brain gut communication mm. system literally in the body your physical health is kind of like the car engine check light turning on being like there's something going on underneath and there's definitely like physical causes for it but what caused that was the emotional upset 
of not releasing these emotions and holding that energy inside. How do you feel sharing it? Yeah. I feel free. Mm-hmm. It's like I just throw this huge bag at you guys. Like, <laughs> take it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think feel it's, good. It's literally, you're releasing. It's really good. These emotions. Yeah. And I hope as you walk away from this, I think it's going to continue, continue on. This is kind of just the beginning. And you're hopefully it'll get easier to continue releasing these things. Mm-hmm. I always recommend people to express it to the right direction though mm. so if it's not to the people that have wronged you or benefited you or you should be grateful for any type of emotions that you're feeling on the whole spectrum you should express it to the people that are making you feel this way or if you cannot don't express it to the wrong people which is like people that are not going to receive that information with compassion mm. but like that's why we recommend journaling or any type of other things that will literally bring that that emotion out of your system. I used to write a lot mm-hmm. when I was got when 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 I was in middle school got bullied I would write mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Because I I got no one to talk to. Exactly. So I just keep writing a lot. Yeah, I keep like a stack of books and notebook at home. I didn't mm-hmm. I never want to look at look back at it. Mm-hmm. Well, you should be journal buddy. Yeah, a stack of like yeah. notebooks at home. It's mm-hmm. filled with like Memories, like hurtful memories, in mm-hmm. and I. So do you do you so do you keep the practice of journaling now? Ah, uh, no. You should try. Try I again. Sh- I should get it again. Mm-hmm. I recommend this to anybody that is listening because it's it allows you to be in connection with how you feel, mm-hmm. and and to be able to write out. And and read makes you reflect on it right away, and it's it's very therapeutic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the thing. I didn't have any, um, what's the word? Guidance? Mm-hmm. Yeah. At, no, there's no guidance. Um, also, when um, in, your, in, a, in a typical Vietnamese household, uh, you were, when, when, when you were a kid, you were told to just sit down, listen, and obey. And what you were mentioning before, how whenever you make decisions now, and there's still that little voice in the back of your mind of, what would my parents think? Is this is this right or is this wrong? When we are children, we literally rely on our parents for survival, right? Mm-hmm. So we we believe them when they say like this is right or this is wrong, or you know if you do this, you're going to get hurt. And as we become adults, we realize they don't know everything, mm-hmm. and they're not right about everything. Just because what they say is right and what they believe is right is clearly not true for you not true for everyone it might be what they believe and what's true for them but as you continue on and and think about decisions and how you're going about your life too just knowing that just because they think something is right doesn't necessarily mean that they are right We talked about body image and, mm. uh, and your parents making sure that you don't love yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my parents making sure that I will never look yeah. good enough for them. So how do you approach this with your students? And like, how, what do you think about the, the, beauty, cult- the, culture, the, the beauty culture here in Vietnam? I, okay, so I try not to compliment my, uh, my kids with like, you look so pretty today. Mm-hmm. But it's like I really like your piece of writing you just sent me yesterday. It was really good. So you 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 try to shift that focus from the outer appearance to what they do. Mm-hmm. So slowly they will try to impress you with their talent. They try to come to me like, can you want to read my stories? Um, do you want to hear me sing? Do you want to see my drawings? So I try not to compliment them on their appearance, but focus on their work more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the beauty standard is, I, I, I think everywhere is the same. Everywhere. You, even for men and women, you are expected to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so let's say that's one of the, the reasons why I quit Facebook. If you're on Facebook long enough, you notice that on every post about celebrities, They would be coming like, ew, why she looks like that? What happened with her? And they're commenting about uh, her appearance. Or if you post a picture of yourself, they would probably commenting, you look good and all that. And I, even if it's judgment about your appearance or a compliment about your appearance, it's the same thing. 
Because if they tell you you not look good enough, you feel bad. But if they tell you that you look good, then you feel this pressure to keep up, mm-hmm. to keep up with this. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they would tell you that you look bad. Mm-hmm. So yeah, social media plays a big part of contrib- contributing to the um, toxic beauty s- standards mm-hmm. in Vietnam and in everywhere in general. Yeah. yeah. Do you think those beauty standards were there before social media in Vietnam? I think so. Yeah. Was there before? Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. pale skin, really mm-hmm. pale skin, mm-hmm. skinny, petite, long hair. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like, always there. So it's it's only making it worse with social media. Mm-hmm. And so what do you think it should change? Like in how, which direction do you think it should go? As I'm teaching a lot of teens at the moment, I feel hopeful because I feel from what I've what from what I've been observing, a big number of them they don't care about their appearance that much, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to tell them that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. So I try to show them. <laughs> so fun. So um, I have this adult class full of university university kids, and then there, and then I show them a. Um, it it was a listening exercise about David Bowie. Mm-hmm. So I show them pictures of David Bowie, and they're like, "What the hell?" I'm like, "I know, but he's a style icon. Mm-hmm. He's so different. That's what makes him special." Mm-hmm. And this, there are two boys in the back of the class. He was like, they were like, "He's a man. He should dress like a man." Mm-hmm. So I try to piss them off more by showing them Fred. Freddie Mercury. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, look at this. What do you think? And and I think that's funny because they need more exposure mm-hmm. to different kind of beauty. Mm-hmm. They then, need that. But then, what do you think in Vietnam? There is because in Vietnam there is a whole trend, or in the Asian culture, a whole trend of men dressing as men, uh, as women on TV all the time. And so there is there is that double exposure where it's okay. And then, like Harry Styles, hey? Harry so, Styles, or even in Vietnam, there's so many guys that are very celebrated. Like, Saigon is like the heaven for expressing yourself. Yeah. Nobody give a shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, I always believe that, okay, so in a world where everybody is naked, if you're wearing clothes, you're the weird one. Yeah. So if you are, so if you are keep being you, if you keep showing them that you are not afraid of, Doing this, I I'm, I'm I actually hope there would be more men dressing in skirts and dresses outside mm-hmm. on the street just walking, because the more people see that, the more the, the the sooner it will become the norm, and people won't feel weirded out by that. Yeah. So yeah, um, I think Saigon uh, is it is at a good start. It's very diverse here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you see all kind of fashions, all kind of styles here. Yeah. But I feel like it might be more difficult in smaller city or like up north where people are still kind of fixed, fixed day with the idea that men should be men and women should be women. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Well, right now, most of the students that you have are teenagers? Teenagers, adults, and really small kids. Yeah? For what type of advice do you give them? What's um, the biggest advice? Teenagers, they are very self-conscious. Mm-hmm. I was super self-conscious when I was teen. So they're self-conscious about how people perceive them. Uh, they're self-conscious about how people see them, if whether their parents like them, uh, their relationship at school. Mm-hmm. So my advice for them would be, you are bound to be nervous. You're bound to be worrying about those things. And it's, and it's normal. It's fine. But the world is much bigger than your small class here. The world is much bigger than little high school that you go to. So no matter what you do, no matter what you think, just make sure that five years from now, like 10 years from now, you just look back at your high school year and you would be like, you won't regret what you've done. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all regret what we did when we were teenagers, but um, I'm trying to, to, to tell them to be who you are. And when you look back at it, even those things, you were embarrassed by doing those things, but it's who you are. So there's nothing to be ashamed of. And most of my classes, they are very um, free in terms of expressing themselves. They come up to me and talk about 
the boyfriend girlfriend, which is a big taboo for most for, for most Vietnamese school because they've like no mean to talk to the teacher about it. Yeah, to talk okay. like I like this girl, but uh. like she's keep doing this. I don't know if I should keep going for her. Mm-hmm. Like they will come to ask me about those mm-hmm. things. So it means they trust me enough mm-hmm. to ask for my advice. And do you think that's because you've intentionally created yeah. an environment? It's such a. I don't see them as someone who is younger than me. Mm-hmm. I see them as uh, someone who has less experience than me. That's it. And all they need is someone who has more experience to tell them that this is what they should do. That's it. I don't look at them like, oh, you're such a kid and you know nothing. That's what my parents did. I don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like you follow this own advice for yourself? Uh, that's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm such a hypocrite. <laughs> We all are. I'm trying to help people too much, but like when it's come to me, it's uh, it's a, it's it's an it's another battle. It's easier to to fix someone else's yeah. problem because you have that because the difference is the emotional attachment to it. Because mm. when you look at someone else's problem, we can talk about their emotion. We can talk about what we analyze from that, mm. and it's much easier logically to look at it. But when it comes to us, we know all the steps. <laughs> yeah, we like. Then it's a, I know you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think I follow my own advice, though. Yeah. Well, with us, there's so much tied up in the unconscious, too. Like, Mm -hmm. we get caught in these behaviors that Mm -hmm. we're not even aware of. It's just this unconscious behavior based on however we were trying to survive as children through this trauma that you were experiencing. (laughs) And now we just, like, do these things and we don't even know why we do them. Sometimes you look back at something you did. It's like, why did I do that? Yeah. That wasn't me. Like, who was that person? And that was your unconscious self driving the car. I always try to reflect on what happened last last year. If I can make any changes this this year, that's what journaling is great for too. <laughs> because when it's all written down, you can literally flip back. What was I talking about a year ago? Yeah. And then you see, and you're like, "Wow, I'm so different now." The the, the problem that we have, uh, I think, us. More so, growing up with this, uh, well, I'll include you too. Our generation, the problem that we have is we're trying to fix our emotional problems in a logical manner. Mm. So we approach everything by what we should be doing and what you know the logical steps should be, and then we 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 omit the fact that we're just crying kids. <laughs> we all kids yeah. at heart. Mm. We all like broken kids and yeah. healing. This mm-hmm. but then and that's where that's where this is the most important is to recognize that we're broken kids, and to be able to. That's where you go. Okay, the problem is not my appearance. The problem is I'm a broken kid that needed more attention when I was a kid, and I'm frustrated about it now. Mm. I, I just want to tell my parents why didn't you just help me? And yeah. this is the emotional kid that is talking. And once you recognize this, it's it's usually a lot easier to be like, okay, well, step number one now is to express. Step number two is to document, inform, and, and all the, those other steps are much easier when you recognize the problem. Yeah, but in in order to acknowledge that you're broken from within, mm-hmm. you need some kind of help. Of course, yes. But that's not a thing in Vietnam here. Mm-hmm. I So many of my friends were unhappy. Yeah. Which is an amazing segue to, <laughs> sorry, I didn't want to cut you off, but the whole difference in the, the language, Vietnamese language in mm. terms of words like, like psychologist or psychiatrist and even just words in relation to mental health, it literally just equates to crazy or madness and mm. there's such a stigma attached to it. So it's like when you, say you have any mental health issue, it's automatically like, oh my God, you're crazy. You need to like be locked up or something. Yeah. Is that um, something you've kind of experienced in talking with people? I don't talk to my Viet friends about my mental problems because I don't expect them to understand though. Because, okay, so I know English. So I get all sorts of access to different articles and researches about what's wrong with me. But my friends, they're not so lucky. They don't speak English. And if you, and even if they, even if they, when they're aware that there's something wrong with them in here, there's no sources for them to read. So they probably, and the most common excuse that people use on you is you're way too weak. Mm. You're way too weak for that. Grow up. 
You weak, grow up. Everybody experience the same thing, and they find why can't you be like that? That's the number one excuse that they gave you when you tell them that I'm feeling anxious, um, I have anxiety, I couldn't sleep at night, or whatever reason. They they just tell you that you you weak. I noticed that a lot of my friends were so unhappy, and in term, oh, even not my friends, my coworkers are so unhappy. They're so bitter in life. They don't appreciate nice little things in life, mm. and I think they need. What what they need is they need to sit down and find some help. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to help you because I'm still helping myself. Yeah. But I can see that you're unhappy. Why can't you see that in your in yourself? Like the married, they have nice house. They have be they have everything. They have a nice job. Um, everything. But they're so unhappy. Mm-hmm. And then they look at me and, and have nothing. Mm-hmm. But I think in a way. I'm happier than them because because I I have gone through the phase where I was like like almost dying and like crying and all that stuff go going on and I kind of acknowledging this was wrong with me and I have sources to read that I'm not crazy in here that I, and it's it's normal I'm not weak so yeah I wish. More Vietnamese people have access to better mental health care. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's just as important as physical health. Yeah, yeah. it's more important. It's, I wanna... it's more important. It's, yeah, it has to be a balance. But like we we're we're going into a generation that I think is slowly understanding that what's happening in our head is ninety nine percent of our life. Mm. When you when you said that you know like you don't talk to your friends about your mental, I think we should call it problems, not problems, but health. <laughs> It's fine. Uh, is 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 something that we should take into the habit of doing, and that's why there is more and more coaches in Vietnam, I think. Because and they would feel awkward when they yeah. talk about it. Really, like, mm. of course, they try to change the subject. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't feel. Yeah. Uh, so I don't feel like they're giving me what I needed to hear, or like whatever I said to mm-hmm. them, you just like out of the window. Fair enough. You just ignored whatever's mm-hmm. going on. Yeah, yeah. I. That's yeah. You you're right. <laughs> Pointing like to the you, right direction. But like you said before, with how you wish more men would be walking out in the street with skirts. Like the more yeah. people see it, mm. the more eventually it will just become normalized. Mm. I think it's the same with mental health. The more that you just talk about it openly, as if it's not anything weird yeah. to talk about, they might kind of pass you off the first few times. <laughs> but you just keep going in there, yeah. and eventually, yeah. yeah. Hopefully, it gets noticed. I think I think it will become. Uh, I think, and I can see it. I think it's a good time for our generation to be looking at, at the previous ones and be like, they've tried their best. Yeah. But there's things that can be changed, and the part of mental health should be changed. And uh, there is actually like you know more and more documentation now translated in Vietnamese because when I made my girlfriend, she was going through a hell of a time too mentally. And I was like, okay, I need to find documentation, like you know, because yeah. you can't explain everything to everyone, and especially when you're in your own journey. But you know, there is great book like The Power of Now, and like that's it. <laughs> no, but like well, there's wanna, a lot of books. Yeah, I want to plug like when yeah. I was researching, you know, mental health in Vietnam. This website, Beautiful Mind mm-hmm. VN, came up, and I had never heard of it before. But apparently, they translate articles mm. english articles yeah. they translate into vietnamese about mental health stuff so shout out to beautiful mind vn okay. yeah. you're doing god's work <laughs> it's, it's really important you said the word weak too which is uh, it's important let's try to replace weak with vulnerable and being yeah. vulnerable is never wrong yeah. you know being vulnerable doesn't make you not strong yeah you know so it's like actually i think like it's, it's like a rich a uh, Strong person mm-hmm. to being vulnerable mm-hmm. it takes courage. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, you know. Not everybody can just like sit there with themselves and be like, "Hey, this is what's wrong. This mm-hmm. is not okay." Not everybody can do that, mm-hmm. and not a lot of people have time for that. Don't you think? Right. Like, if they're like super busy, will they have time to do that? You should always have time to show up for yourself. <laughs> mm, yeah, I think and, that's yeah. just another limiting belief of mm-hmm. oh i don't have time for self-care yeah. for self-awareness for it's you know you. doing this yeah. work and i think we 
the society just perpetuates this hustle culture and like you have to just be working super hard all the time to succeed but like you said you can succeed i say that in air quotes like having the good job and marriage and house but you're so unhappy so yeah. is that really success i think success or the, the purpose of life is you know to find happiness or to choose happiness every day and to connect you don't live without connections and like some people are incapable of doing this in our generation because they weren't given the proper tool in a, from our parents to do to do so and it's it's their mistakes <laughs> it's their fault but then it's our responsibility to stand up to ourselves yeah we gotta so. fix it though we 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 we're responsible for mm -hmm. ourselves you're not perfect I am not. Nobody is perfect, you know, and nobody should be perfect. But we can choose happiness. So we always ask a final question mm -hmm. uh, for every guest, and it is, how would you describe Saigon in three words? Oh, I would say challenging opportunities. And I would say diversity mm. i've never feel more at home mm. beautiful everywhere i go people just accepting for exactly who i am yeah yeah amazing and do you want to share your instagram handle in case any listeners want to yeah okay okay so my name is Anne. yeah and then we got adorable so it said Andorable. Oh, <laughs> cute <laughs> so it's just Andorable. yeah word. it's Andorable. yeah okay <laughs> We'll yeah. include that in the show notes. <laughs> well, thank you so much again for, for sharing. sharing your story for the first time yeah. with total strangers. That takes complete bravery. So I think I only talk about this with my ex, like that one ex, but that's it. Yeah. 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 And I know so no many people really are going to gonna relate to you and benefit from it. So thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for listening to Creators in Saigon. If you liked this episode, become a part of our mission to inspire others by leaving a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts and sharing this episode with your friends on social media. This one small act can truly make a difference in someone's life. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and see you next time.